Your body is an ultimate high-performance machine, and Performance Lab Protein is the ultimate high-grade muscle fuel. This revolutionary plant-based formula has conquered the purity and taste issues that you get with most protein powders, and is clinically shown to be at least as effective as whey for increasing lean muscle mass. But again, don't take our word for it. Try it for 30 days, and if you're not blown away with a difference, you'll get your money back. Go to performancelab.com, use discount code GENIRON10 to get 10% off. That's performancelab.com, discount code G-E-N-I-R-O-N, and number 10. Welcome to the Generation Iron Podcast, featuring the biggest names in bodybuilding, fitness, combat, and strength sports world. If you want to be a bodybuilding champion, it takes hours and hours every day of being dedicated and being passionate about it. As your boy here, Concrete, a.k.a. Mr. Getting It Done. Tune in to the GI exclusives on the Generation Iron Airwaves. All right, we're back with another episode of Generation Iron Podcast. Today's guest is very respected in the fitness industry. He's a former pro bodybuilder. He's very knowledgeable. He's a guru. And he always gives very insightful information to aspiring bodybuilders and fitness influencers. And most of his knowledge comes from experience. He has a lot of experience in the, in the fitness industry. He also been through a lot of um, health issues and complications. And that's what I really want to get to know more about. Um, and I'm very pleased to bring to the Generation Out podcast, John Meadows. How you doing? How you been? I've been, uh, I've been doing well. I've been busy, but um, it's good to be home for the weekend this week. But man, everything's going great right now. You launched a supplement company, right? Last year. Yeah, granted. Um, well, we launched in, it's been, we're on year three now. Um, uh, last year or actually last month was the best month we've ever had. I mean, that's what you would hope, right? The business builds. But, uh, so last month was the best month we've ever had. And we're, uh, we're making some good headway. I think it's, it's, you know, it's a tough industry, obviously. So it's taken us a little bit of time to get moving, but everything's going well now. I was going to ask you, man, it seems like the, the supplement industry is very oversaturated with so many different companies starting startups, you know, advanced companies, huge companies, but how do you how you compete with them? How, what is your what is your master plan here? Well, um, my master plan is a little bit different. You know, I've never been the get rich quick kind of guy, which is it is popular with some other supplement companies. Um, as you know, I think it took me 15, 16 tries to get my pro card. Everything I do seems to take me a little bit of time. But uh, one of the things that I've tried to do over the past few decades is um, just treat people right. It's just act with integrity and, um, you know, try to let people know I look out for their best interests and do the right thing. And that can, uh, that absolutely gives me a benefit, uh, in this case, because there's a lot of people who, who know me well, that support me, uh, and that are happy to do so. So, you know, if I say I'm going to do something and make a good product, they know it's going to be good. And I've never been the cheap guy either. So, you know, if somebody's looking for a $20 pre-workout, you know, I'm just, I'm just not your guy. So, um, that's what everything's always been about me. My training programs, I mean, everything I've done, I, I'd rather take my time, do it right, treat people right. It's it's kind of the long uh, long way to do business, but um, that's okay. That's okay. It's worked out great for me, so I'm very happy. I hear um, some guys in the industry, they preach kind of the saying, all the supplements is just all fake, you know what I mean? Just eat, go train, eat, go train. Um, 
when you hear stuff like that, what do you think? What is your response to that? I don't blame them one bit. I mean, there's been so much crap that's out there. I mean, everything from protein spiking to these um, super high stimulant pre-workouts that, you know, the terms crack people out. So, so there's a lot of poor products out there. And so I don't blame them one bit. So when I hear that, I think, yeah, man, I know where you're coming from. And the only thing I can do is just try to build a good product and have them try it. You know, we just launched a protein powder and I have, I personally have issues digesting protein powders. <laughs> I can get the cleanest way isolate and it still upsets my stomach. So, you know, I just took six months to put together a formula, get the digestive enzymes right to where it doesn't upset your stomach. So, you know, doing things like that goes a long way with people. And then, then once they see, wow, man, how, how did you do that? Then they think, okay, well, this guy actually does put some work into this. Now, you mentioned uh, protein powder spiking, right? Is that actually when, because I, I heard a lot about that as well on different instances on the news. Is that actually when they, well, what do they spike the protein with? Like they actually put like s- it, it, steroids it, in it? Like what do they do with it? No, it's not spiking like that. It's, you know, you claim a certain amount of amino acids. And rather than put a, um, <laughs> the right essential amino acids in it, you might put a bunch of, of one cheap amino acid in it just to keep it simple. So it's very misleading, and you know I don't I don't know I don't know that it how, how that it happens much now, but I mean when you see protein powder is not cheap, so when you see a company that's selling, you know a three four five pound bag and it's dirt cheap, like I know how much protein costs, so I'm thinking that's not right. Like they're losing money. Um, if if they really pay what I think they're paying, then they're losing money. So it's just a matter of. Um, trying to trick the system but you know fortunately that stuff i think is i don't think it happens so much anymore um but there was a case basically i think it was two years ago where it was an mma fighter that failed oh, a yeah, yeah. Test because he was taking some supplements by a company you heard about that oh vaguely i don't i don't remember what what it was or i, I don't really remember the details um you know who knows who, who puts what in what anymore all i can do is just focus on what we're doing you know so you focus on putting the best ingredients in your products, granted, right? Absolutely. So what's the best kind of protein? You mentioned protein. What's the best kind of protein? Is it uh, whey protein? Is it, uh, they make, I think, uh, like beef protein, right? Carnival protein and uh-huh. plant-based protein. What, what's the best kind? Can you teach me about that? You know what? It depends on what your goals are. You know, a lot of people like to say, well, whey concentrate is inferior to whey isolate. I'm, I'm, well, you do realize it comes from the same source, right? The, the only difference is the isolate's a little more processed. They pull out the lactose and things like that. They're both really good proteins. Um, casein, maybe it's not quite as high leucine, but it's still a really good protein. Plus, it's slow digesting, sticks with you longer. There's nothing more frustrating than, you know, you drink a protein shake and 45 minutes later, you're starving again. I'm like, man, <laughs> that wasn't fun. Um, you know, then you got the old school egg proteins and beef protein. The beef proteins are, are a little more lean, like things like that, that help your, um, more, more like your skin and your nails and things like that. So I, I personally like a blend. Um, I, I I build a whey casein blend that that has uh, egg and beef in with it also. The majority is, is whey casein because I think that mixture is really good. But um, so I, I personally like the blends, so that's why I came out with a blend. Mm-hmm. How did you get into bodybuilding in the first place, John? How, how, why did you decide to get into that sport? Uh, probably pretty unique. So 12 years old, I opened up a muscle and fitness magazine, and as soon as I looked at the pictures, I said, I'm going to be a pro bodybuilder someday. 
Um, as soon as I saw the pictures in the magazine, I knew that's exactly what I wanted to do. So I spent many, many years to achieve that. So, yeah, but it was real simple from a young age. I, I never really wavered. Mm-hmm. So uh, where are you from originally? Where were you born? Where? I'm from a town. Uh, I'm in, I live in Columbus, Ohio now. I'm from a little small town called Washington Courthouse, which is about 60 minutes south of here. So when, when you got into bodybuilding, right, and, and obviously your parents or your family or whoever was, you know, with you at the time, were they looking at you like you were crazy, you know, putting on posing trunks, going on stage? Was that, was that kind of like a, you know, abnormal thing uh, in, the, in the place where you were from to kind of get into, you know, to, to kind of, you know, bodybuilding and kind of going through with it? Yeah, so it was a small town and um, there was only a, you know, a handful of bodybuilders that were competing there. Um, but I was really young. I think that's what freaked people out. I competed at 13 years old. So if you can think about most 13 year olds, like my kids are 11 years old. I can't imagine them competing in a bodybuilding show in two years. So, I mean, I was 13 years old, so it was very weird. You know, people at school thought it was weird, but you know what? It wasn't like it wasn't like I didn't I don't feel like people put me down or anything like that. They just thought, oh, man, that's a little different. You know, I never felt like people looked down on me or anything. They just thought, wow, that's and I was in track and football and wrestling. And I was so I was in all these other sports as well, um, you know, but I mean, yeah, a little different starting out when you're 13 years old <laughs> and really been involved with it. Right. So what do you think about this big debate that's happening right now? Old school training versus new school training, new age bodybuilding world. Some people say in the 90s, bodybuilding was way better, you know, people are better conditioned, better, you know, better bodies in general than now. Some people say, no, now it's better. Where, where do you, where's your stand on this? Well, I, I have the, um, my opinion is formed from actually being there. I've seen the competitors in the 80s and the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, however you, you name that. But I actually have seen them in person. I, I have firsthand experience with all those decades. Um, I just think it's a little different. Like what you saw like in the, first of all, I think the genetics, when you when you look at the guys like Flex Wheeler and Ronnie Coleman and Kevin Lebrone, you're talking about elite, elite, elite genetics. It seems like the, it seems like that decade had these guys with incredible genetics. And I loved all those guys. Um, Flex was my favorite for many, many years. Um, from that from that era and you know you see the guys now and i think the guys now are um they're they're bigger i mean if, if you just look at weight physical weight they're bigger um it I, I look at it as just different eras like when i look at the older area i see a little more muscle separation i see a little bit you know a little bit more streamlined to the physiques um but i i don't look at I'm not trying to be politically correct. I really just look at it as different generations. Where I see the difference is on the amateur level. And I can unequivocally state that the amateur level was nothing now compared to what it used to be. Now, we could have a real interesting discussion on that. But at the pro level, I just look at it, look at it as different eras. The judges picked winners who were bigger. So the bodybuilders tried to become bigger. You can't blame them. You know, that was the standard that was awarded. So that's what they did, Right. So, you know, I um, I personally like the little smaller and tighter look, which might surprise people because I was a short, bigger guy myself. But I, I did. I'd rather look like Flex Wheeler than look like me. 
So, um, you know, but at the pro level, I just think it's different generations. I think that all these generations had great champions. I trained with Brandon Curry this weekend, and that guy is an absolutely unbelievable guy. He's an awesome guy. And um, so that's, you know, that's kind of how I see the pro level. The national level, man, that's where it's way different, completely different. So Brandon is a great guy, obviously. He's a current Mr. Olympia. Um, so how do you feel and how do you think he feels about people throwing shade at him? Shade at him, guys like Dorian Yates and, and Ronnie Coleman on the record saying that in their time he wouldn't be placed in top six or top five, whatever. Brandon, um, he, he doesn't um, he's he's very mature. So he's not sitting there, you know, saying, no, no, he's not getting into these arguments. Brandon internalizes. And if you know Brandon, he's a very intelligent man. So Brandon also knows that he, he has to get better. And he um, what I like about him is his mindset. His mindset is he, 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 he still can get a lot better. And he knows that. And that's what I like. That's when, you know, when I saw him. Um, I was curious to see kind of what, just how he was mentally, you know, just being the champion and all that. And kind of the overriding theme I got from him was I'm the champ, but I know I got to get better and I'm going to get better. I didn't sense any entitlement from him at all. Um, so I think what you're going to see with Brandon is he's going to continue to get better. So I don't think the comments that people make about him, I mentioned it to him. I said, you know, I did an interview with him and I said, you know, you hear all these comments, right? And he said, yeah, absolutely. But he's not losing any sleep over it. He's just taking it in. He's internalizing. He's training hard, and he knows he's got to get better, which is what a champion does. Uh, how do you, when you hear comments like people, when people like Dorian make a comment like that, or Ronnie Coleman, or any other, just any other bodybuilder or blogger, when they when they voice their opinion, um, at what point do you think it's hate, and at what point do you think it's opinion? Like, how do you look at the bodybuilding industry when you hear these comments? Do you look at it as people hating, or do you, do you look at it as they're just being honest? What do you, what do you say about that? Well, so here's the tricky thing. You know, I like to look at Dorian. Um, Dorian had a couple of years where he was just phenomenal. He blew everybody's doors off. But there were a couple of years when he didn't, where his wins were kind of questionable. Um, you know, but the guy has earned the right to have an opinion. And if someone says John Meadows sucks – Okay, that's your opinion. I'm not going to go cry about it. I, I don't know that it's um, – I think he really thinks that um, the people in this era would not place well in his area, era. And it is a very good question. I mean, you look at a top in-shape in Sean Ray. Even at 210 pounds, I still think Sean Ray could potentially be battling for a top spot at his best in today. And that's not a knock on the guys today. That's just saying how good Sean was. You know, you look at um, Kevin LeBron at his best. He could probably, at his best, do pretty well today. So I I think the guys are being honest, and I can see where they're coming from. You know, I don't think they're just hating. Um, I saw Ronnie's interview where he was just kind of laughing um, at their condition. And, you know, I think the guys now, like, I think people don't understand condition. I think people think condition and they think like rich gaspari strided glued shredded the guys are really lean today there's just so many chemicals involved they don't quite have the muscle separation it, they're lean like if you did a body fat test on them they're not going to be fat they're going to be four percent body fat four and a half percent body fat they're not, they're not fat 
it's just a different look. And that's just from the chemicals. I don't want to say just from the chemicals. That's partially responsible. I think the other thing responsible is all the excessive eating. But that was dictated by, you know, bigger guys being champions. But I will say this, you know, you look at Phil Heath. At his best, he's shredded, shredded glutes. I mean, so you you can't say the guys nowadays aren't in shape. Like, you look at Phil Heath at his best when in the Olympias. You can't tell me he's not in shape and shredded. He absolutely is shredded. So, you know, when Jay Cutler was winning, he's absolutely shredded. The guy has striations in his va- the vastus lateralis on the side of his leg that you could put quarters in. They're so deep. So, you know, the guys are still lean now. It's just a different look. And that's what I meant earlier when I said it's a different era. I, I don't think the guys are all of a sudden lazy. You know, I know I know a lot of the top guys. They're not lazy. They don't just sit around. There have been lazy guys in the past. Paul Dillett was lazy. He's one of the biggest guys ever hit the stage. He's very known for being lazy. He'd probably admit it if you ask him, right? So, you know, the difference now is now you have social media and things like this, like we're talking, so a lot of this stuff gets attention brought to it. Well, back in my day, um, back in the, you know, the 90s, I'd be at World Gym in Columbus, and the guys would come in, and you could see him train, and you'd be, okay, this guy doesn't train real hard. You know, he's doing – He's got 23-inch arms, but he's doing 25-pound dumbbell curls. And this guy over here, man, this guy's training like an animal. So that was the only way you could tell. Like, you had to just see people train. Whereas now, everybody's got, you know, they're talking, they're on Instagram and all this stuff. So there's been lazy people from every generation, and there's been hard workers from every generation. I was going to ask you, John, so what is um, the responsible way to be a, a bodybuilder these days? Because obviously, there's a lot of different trainers, right? And there's a lot of guys that bodybuild. And if you talk to any any one of them, they say, well, you know, I, I check my blood all the time. I, you know, I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm doing the right thing. But then of I, heard, I heard from somebody just the other day, you know, just, and they basically said that, you know, your blood only shows half of the actual results. Like, what's the right way to be a bodybuilder today? You know, especially for the younger people that are listening right now. You've been in this, you've been in this industry your whole life. You know what I mean? Like, what's the responsible way to do this, honestly? The, the blood work is simply um, a first step. And... Um, there's steps beyond that. Let me let me give you an example. So, you know, people take a bunch of, let's say, Anavar or Winstrol tabs. So their HDL starts to go down. So, okay, now that my HDL is down, now maybe I'm at a higher risk to develop heart disease. Maybe that's happening. Maybe it's not. So the next step is, you know, like, for example, something I did was I got a calcium score test done on my heart. It's easy to sit and say my blood work looks good. Everybody says that. But it don't always show what's going on. So I actually got a calcium score test done. You know, people can say, no, my kidneys are fine. My ejection fraction is, is fine, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you get a kidney scan, you know, you can actually, you can actually get it looked at. Like, it, you can tell what's really going on. So blood work is good, but there's another level to it. And guess what? One of the, the big things that gets people is high blood pressure. And that's, I mean, that's not in blood work. That's a cuff around your arm or you know, there's other ways to do it now, but that's really what a lot of guys are suffering from. They're, they're, they're losing kidney function. I mean, that's probably the number one thing, the most common thing. And actually, I think the second most dangerous thing would probably be the diuretics. Um, we see people die after shows. It's happened a lot in the last couple of years. And that's why it's because of this crazy electrolyte pattern. that's all messed up from all the excessive diuretics. So, you know, the blood work is a good start, but that can't just that doesn't tell you the whole story. Mm-hmm. So what's this, I mean, what's what's the right way to be a bodybuilder? Are you supposed to get uh, a coach or a guru and just kind of like check everything with him? Like what's what are you supposed to be doing? Let's say, let's say you're 18 years old and you want to be a bodybuilder. What are you supposed to be doing? 
ideally, so I'm real lucky. Um, I mean, Dr. Serrano is my doctor. He's, you know, you could make a case he's a top doctor in the world. Um, I'm lucky. Ideally, you could find a doctor that really understands this stuff. It's hard, though. Not, not all doctors are open to discussing this. Some of them are still in the dark ages and think if you take testosterone, you're going to have a heart attack and die. Um, so, number one, a good doctor is better than any guru out there, including myself. So that's where you really want to start. And, you know, if that doesn't work, then you're probably just going to have to seek out somebody who's pretty intelligent, who, who reads blood work, who understands what AST and ALT elevation is. And just because it's a little high, that could just be from training. You know, there's a lot of basic stuff they need to understand. You know, creatinine might just be a little high, but if it hits this number, then okay, maybe need to be a little careful or what have you. But I think you start with trying to find an educated doctor. That's not always possible. So then you got to try to find somebody who knows the process, who's maybe working with doctors. Some of the coaches now do, some don't, you know. Um, you know, but that, I mean, that's to me, I, I started working with Dr. Serrano in 1999. So I've had 21 years with him. I've got a stack of blood work about this big. And like I said, I still don't think that's the end all be all. You know, he's, you know, there's other stuff that we've had tested and done. Um but you got to find a good doctor. It's just hard, man, because some of them are just, they're in the dark ages. They really are. You know, the only, let me tell you this. I think this is kind of interesting. The only thing that ever really screwed my blood work up was acetaminophen. I mean, I, um, when I was getting ready for Arnold Classic, I um, took some acetaminophen for two weeks. And that's the highest my liver enzymes had ever been in my entire life. And, um, you know, so... You know, the doctors don't always, you know, you just got to find the right one. That's my point. So you ever wondered why your pee looks bright yellow when you take a multivitamin? Well, it basically is because most companies use synthetic vitamins that flush straight through your system and straight down the toilet. Performance Lab Multi is different though. All nutrients are lab grown and nature identical for maximum absorption and potency, delivering an instant nutrition upgrade in one daily hit. But don't take our word for it. If you don't see the difference in 30 days after use, you'll get your money back. So go to performancelab.com. Use discount code GENIRON10 to get 10% off. That's performancelab.com. Discount code G-E-N-I-R-O-N. And number 10. Now you, um, from what I read, you went, you had a rare colon disease, right? At some point, you went through a, you went through a very difficult situation. A health yes. care. Uh, well, yeah, how old were you? Uh, it was 2005, mm -hmm. so um, 32 years old. I was getting ready for the Mr. USA, and I was out doing my morning cardio, and my stomach was kind of hurting, and then the next day it would hurt a little bit worse, and it kept hurting more and more and more. And long story short, um, I did the USA. By that point, I couldn't eat. Like, I was eating, like, one ounce of chicken and one, you know, one – tablespoon of oatmeal would be a meal for me because it was so bad. The pain was so bad. I competed in the USA and I got back and I thought, okay, everything's going to be cool now. It was all contest related. It was stress related. So I got back on a Sunday, Monday morning, I went to see Dr. Serrano because he thought I, he thought I might have mercury poisoning actually. And as soon as I walked into the office, he didn't even, he just looked at me and he said, call the ambulance. So ambulance came and I was in and out of um, the emergency room, and they they were telling me really, really dumb stuff like, oh, he's just constipated. That's the only thing wrong. But 
I had a disease called idiopathic myoentomal hyperplasia of the mesenteric vein, which means I had a, a vein, we'll say in my colon, that was a diseased vein. So blood couldn't get through it. So blood kept coagulating, coagulating until the vein literally burst. And luckily when that happened, I was in a hospital. So they rushed me right into emergency surgery as blood was just pouring out of me. And I woke up with no colon. <laughs> so from 2005 on, I had no colon. I ended up having a lot of surgeries. My abdominal muscles are literally sewn together to hold them together. Um, you know, so, I mean, I think it's a kind of a cool story, right? I got my pro card after that, you know, so I um, I certainly had a little. What was the cause of that? Of that? Um, well, the word idiopathic means they don't know where it came from. Uh, they didn't know what it was until after the fact. They kept saying I had colitis. And I said, I don't have colitis. Like, I'm literally not presenting one single symptom of colitis. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I know it's not colitis. Um, they said, well, maybe it's ischemic colitis, which was a lack of blood flow. Yeah, maybe, but I didn't feel like it was colitis. So anyways, they took a piece of the tissue, a biopsy. They sent it to the Mayo Clinic. And the Mayo Clinic at the time said I had, they had nine cases on file of it or 11 cases on file, but they knew exactly what it was. And then when I looked it up and I read like the, the site, like what happens, it was dead on. I was like, that's it. That's exactly how I felt. All seven of those things on that list is exactly where I was. So we didn't find it out until after the fact. And they had done, man, you wouldn't believe. I could, I could give you an hours long worth of tests they'd done on, done on me and they couldn't figure it out until they sent the actual issue to the Mayo Clinic. So how, how, did they how did you finally get over it fully? I mean, what, how, how did they fix it? Well, I don't you? have a colon. <laughs> I don't have a colon, so I don't have a diseased colon anymore. Um, so your colon is your large intestine. And what it does is as you eat, you know, food goes in your stomach, your stomach, you know, uh, then sends it to your uh, um, small intestine and your small intestine absorbs a lot of the vitamins and minerals and nutrients. And then it goes into, it's kind of a, um, you know, watery, and then it goes in your colon, and your body hydrates. It takes the water out. It hydrates you. It absorbs water and absorbs salt. And so I don't have that process. So what that means is I'm very prone to dehydration. So I have to be, I have to always make sure I'm hydrated. I have to, I, you know, I, I use a little bit of sea salt on a lot of my meals. So I have to think a little bit more about what I'm doing. And you know, for the first three or four years, I had never got cramps in my life. And for the first three or four years after that. I'd, you know, do one set of calf raises and my calves would cramp. I'd do a set of bicep curls and my biceps would cramp. So it took a little while for it to normalize. It's still not normal, but I, I can deal with it now. It's amazing they got a pro card after this, dealing with something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, they've had adversity. And then I'll read like he pulled his tricep. I'm like, man, that's not adversity, <laughs> you know. But, um, I, I'm, you know, but I don't, I don't. Um, I'm not mad that it happened. You know, I had some of the scars on my stomach surgically removed and I actually had a surgeon volunteer to do it for free. He said, I know you're a good bodybuilder. I'll take the scars off of you for free if you want. I said, I want to keep them, man, because it reminds me, you know, when something like that happens, you, you figure out very quickly how precious your life is, how precious your friends are, how precious your family is. So it's a reminder to me that, man, I'm human. Um, there are other more important things around. So I, I kept those scars. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how I think about it. There's a, there's a saying in the industry, basically, that all bodybuilders that obviously choose to uh, go the enhanced route in their bodybuilding, uh, they're all dealing with health issues. And the older they get, the more it comes out, basically. So they have enlarged hearts, kidney problems, liver problems. 
something is wrong with basically all of them. Um, would you agree or disagree with that? I can't agree with that because I haven't, like, I have no evidence to know that every single older bodybuilder has issues. I know plenty that don't. Um, well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that. I don't have evidence that they're perfect either. I don't know. I mean, the longer you do things, um, the more risk you're at. But I also know, got, know guys that have taken like testosterone for 30 years and they have no issues. There's a difference between taking enough to get a, to elicit an effect versus just pile driving huge doses. And, you know, that is going to catch up with you. And that's going to catch up with you. And I do think in the next couple of years, you're going to see more people having major problems, specifically with their kidneys. Um, because the one thing I will say, and people can disagree with me on this all they want. I do think, I do think the coaching now promotes much heavier drug use than it did previous. You know, not to say that all the guys in the earlier generations took little to nothing. I'm not saying that. Of course, there was the Nassers that took a lot. But I've talked to a lot of those guys. Um, and they're still very healthy, you know, and they would tell me, this is what I did. This is what I did. And you look at what the guys do now. You know, I'll give you an example. Like you look at one of the popular drugs back in the 90s was um, was was uh, an ampule called Parable. And it was in France. It was made by a company called Negma. It came in these 1.5 milliliter ampules. Each milliliter had 76 milligrams of trimbalone in it. Okay. Most of the guys would take the last six weeks, two ampules of that a week. So that's 76 times two. The hardcore guys would take three. So, you know, now we're up around 225, 230 milligrams a week. And now you got these young coaches telling guys, you need to take a thousand, you need to take a gram of trend all every week for 12 weeks straight. That's common in some of these younger coaches. So you got these younger coaches that, I don't know if it's they're truly that stupid and they don't understand that you can get real far with a little bit lower dose or whether they're so um, so dead set on trying to be famous that they're willing to just kill people in the process. You know, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's they're so hungry to get a reputation, to be a guru, um, or it's this they're truly that dumb. I, I don't really know the difference. Um I will say this too. Everybody's a little different. Some people need a little bit more. Some people need a little bit less. But what I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt is there are a lot of people out there that could do just fine if they back their doses down a little bit. I feel very good about saying that. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about natural bodybuilding? You know, there's, there's a few organizations that basically, you know, they, they do drug testing, mandatory drug testing. Um, there's a thing called Natural Olympia. We're actually making a film right now um, covering that side of the industry. Um, yeah. How do you feel about it? But then, you know, when I talk to a lot of the guys, you know, from the mainstream bodybuilding, they they say, well, we don't want to see that. You know what I mean? Like, how do you look at how, what is your take on it? Well, you know, if, if you if you check out my YouTube channel, you'll see a lot of natural videos you know, because I like to I like to talk about the natural side of this. I trained many years natural. I've had a 500 pound squat naturally as a teenager. I had a really good base. Um so there's a lot that I like to talk about with natural bodybuilding. So first of all, are they really natural? I mean, I mean, at the Team U for many years, they had guys winning that were taking testosterone suspension all the way up till the end, taking growth hormone all the way through, you know, things that you couldn't detect. You know, they knew when to kind of pull. Yeah, I mean, that, that I think everybody knows that. Um, so just because someone says it's a natural show doesn't mean it really is. Um, there's ways to beat a polygraph test that's been written and publicized in many different um, publications. 
So the first question is, are they really natural? You know, that's the first question. And what I see in a lot of the natural organizations is um, I, what I really like seeing is I see guys sometimes that are shredded. I see some guys that are just as shredded as, as, the, as the IFBB guys. They're just not real big, but they're shredded. And, and I think to myself, the first thing that goes through my head is that is damn impressive because they're not throwing T3 and Clint and all this stuff. But they're, you know, a pro bodybuilder can just say, oh, I'll just take more T3 or I'll just take more Clint and I'll burn the fat off. A natural guy can't do that. He has to actually think. And this is one of the reasons why I respect a lot of the coaches that coach natural guys, because they have to think. They have to actually solve problems. They can't just throw drugs at something. So I have a tremendous respect for natural bodybuilding. Um, at the same time, it's very unrealistic to tell naturals that they can be as big as IFBB guys. It, it just ain't going to happen. But you can still look awesome. Um, you can still look fantastic. You can still get chiseled. You know, you just won't be as big. But, um, you know, that's provided they really are natural. So I think – I think when you go to some of these natural shows, you, you got to kind of wonder, eh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if that guy's really natural. How does he get, how does he have gyno when he's natural? I, I know some people have it naturally, but it just makes you wonder, right? No, no, that's a great point, actually. You're right about that. Um, do you ever or often have kids come up to you in a gym, like, you know, teenagers asking you to advise them on, on different chemicals and enhancements? Does that happen? Does it ever happen to you? Not as much as you'd think. Um, it used, you know, I um, I used to have it happen. <laughs> I think it was when I trained in the evenings when the gym was packed. I go, I kind of go in now when the gym's dead. That's what I've done the last seven eight years. I used to go in in the evenings. You know, everybody gets off work. They're all in there doing their chest or their arms at five thirty. And um, I used to get guys, you know, hey man, and they, and it was always funny. They'd always ask me the same thing: How much trend should I take? And um, is it okay if I, you know, take a gram or a gram and a half of test? Like I always would hear that. And I would say, who told who told you to take a gram of test? Well, I read in so-and-so's website that that's the starting dose. Like, really? Like, have you ever taken anything before? No. Um, I do get guys that say that. And, um, you know, I just tell them to do their research. Like, I, I, I think people should be free to do anything they want, personally. I just, if you're going to do that, just at least take some time and educate yourself. I was very, very anti-drug for, you know, the first eight years that I lived it. I, I, you know, I was one of the guys that read Death in the Locker Room, if you remember that. That's an old book, um, Bob Golan book. And I thought, oh, man, if I take a, a handful of Winstraw, I'm going to, I'm going to, my hair's going to fall out and I'm going to die. You know, I thought that. I really thought that. But as I continued to do more research and more research, I thought, you know what, maybe the, Maybe the side effects aren't as are, are exaggerated and maybe there's a way that I don't want to say it's side effect free, but maybe there's a way you can do this and, you know, come out on the other side. So I just encourage them to I don't give drug advice to these kids. I just encourage them and get, get educated. Bill Llewellyn has has his books. Uh, Bill Llewellyn's books are fantastic. I would advise anybody to read those if they're just trying to do their basic research and understand what's going on. There are quite a few. Um people in the industry that are very open about their steroid use and they give advice or, you know, manuals or, you know, how to do kind of like how to properly do it um, videos online, you know, whether it's on social media, YouTube, whatever, right? Um, do you think they should be censored by social media platforms like YouTube and Instagram and banned, potentially uh. banned? 
Man, that is a great question because um, I can see both sides of that. Part of me says, no, it's a free country. But part of me says that's absolutely a horrible thing to show kids that are 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, I mean, showing kids how to take shots and things like that. Like, that's not my style, man. I, I don't I don't think showing kids that is a good thing. But proper education is a good thing. So I think there's just got to be a way to do it where there's more education involved. And I don't have a good answer on how you do that. But, but you know, putting a, pulling out a 5cc syringe and put, filling it full of trend and taking a shot and telling everybody how great it is, that's just not what – I mean, I got kids that are 11 years old. I, I don't want to see them watching that when they're 14, 15 years old and thinking, oh, that must be – so, oh, man, I – you know, I think if – I think if you have kids and you have a family, it probably impacts your views on that too, right? Because, you know, so I, I tend more on the I don't like that. Um, I think that's kind of where YouTube is going, right? It seems like YouTube is starting to censor a lot of that stuff. They're starting to, yeah, absolutely. It's not yeah, what it used to be think, five years ago. Absolutely, it's changing progressively. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, I, I don't really have a problem with censoring that. I mean, just make people get educated. Make them get educated. You know, the problem with YouTube, I love YouTube, by the way. I love YouTube. Um, YouTube is the future. But the problem with it is how do you disseminate through the information? You know, I've got one guy telling me to do 26 sets for biceps. And like, I know that's ludicrous. Um, but how does a kid know that? You know, and my point is, is there's so much information out there. How do you know what's good? How do you know what's bad? And that's kind of where a good coach can come in handy. You know, many, many, many years of my career, I didn't have a coach because I just love to learn and figure stuff out on my own. Um, but sometimes a coach can be very valuable and they can kind of they can kind of sift through that for you. You know, this this stuff over here, ah, don't listen to that. This stuff over here is pretty good. You might want to put some time into that. That's that's where a coach can really help a young guy out, especially. Um, how do you feel about the recent, well, not recent, but in the last few years, it's been a, a craze over a vegan diet. Um, what is your take on that? How do you feel about it? Well, um, I'll tell you. <laughs> so I, um, I'm a big animal guy, right? You know, Mountain Dog is, that name came from Bernese Mountain Dogs. I used to show, uh, I had my first Bernese Mountain Dog, I used to show her. I love animals. There are times when I eat meat, and honestly, I'm just being honest with you, I feel guilty, especially like eating bacon, because I know how smart pigs are. Pigs are incredibly intelligent. So I'll go, you know, I'll go a year without eating bacon, and then I'll eat some, and I'll be like, man, I feel guilty. So from the perspective of animal cruelty and the way they treat animals, I I can get behind that. But when the but when the argument becomes it's healthier for you, is a vegan diet healthier than going to um, Wendy's and getting those kind of hamburgers probably, but you know, what about a, a grass fed steak on an animal that's been raised a certain way? Like now it gets interesting. It's a little different situation. You know, you can't compare, you know, you can't compare like what you'd get from McDonald's with what you'd get from a farm. Um, just based on how the animal's been fed, the antibiotics they've been given, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, and like you look at fish, you know, wild fish and, you know, versus like salmon that are, are farmed and all the really bad stuff they feed them in their little pens. And anyway, so I, I don't think this, the information that's been given out about a vegan diet being healthier is I think it's very misleading. 
And I think when they start talking about all these athletes that were vegans, they left out that a lot of them end up getting injured and, and have, have injuries. And you can Google that. And there's, it'll show you, like you can just Google injured vegan athletes and all these people they're claiming are so great are now injured, half of them. Was it the diet? I don't know. But, um, you know, you, you definitely have to be more careful. Yeah acids and what you might be missing and things like that you know b12 iron there's a lot of things you got to take into consideration so my approach is i still do eat um some meat um i did i have backed off a lot on it but i haven't backed off because i thought eating two grass-fed steaks a year a week is going to kill me it was more because because i i have a guilty conscience man i feel bad so, so that's that's interesting. Uh, what about keto diet? How do you feel about that? Do you think that's 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 positive, healthy in bodybuilding lifestyle? Um, I, I think I think a, a keto diet. I think any kind of this. Um, I, I don't I don't know. If fad diet is the right word. Any kind of diet type, I think has its uses. I think to say that it works for everybody or it works for somebody all the time is that's where I have an issue. So a keto diet can clearly do some good things for you physically, mentally. There's clearly some benefits to it. It could reduce your triglycerides. I mean, it can do all good, all kinds of good stuff health-wise. But if you told me I'm going to put you on a keto diet, you're not getting any carbs, you know, no way. I want no part of that. So I think the sustainability of a lot of these diet types, it, they're just not sustainable. Like, I'm not saying they're a bad diet. Then you look like a low-fat diet where people don't eat any fat. Like, if you want to do that for a little bit of a period before a contest, I get that. But if that's going to be your your eating style, like, for long term, you probably want to have hormonal issues. You, you probably have some test issues. There's some things that are going to happen down the road. Um, if you believe in a high-carb diet, you know, that can work great. If you're going to slam high carbs all the time, if you're in a caloric surplus all the time, you know, at some point you're going to get a little bit insulin resistant and that insulin resistance is kind of the root of all these degenerative diseases. So I like, I'm in favor more of kind of a, a balanced macronutrient profile where you include enough healthy fats, enough carbs, enough protein, and then you just kind of tweak it from there. But I don't, I don't like to eliminate all carbs or eliminate all fat. I mean, I can see it for something like a bodybuilding show where that requires something extreme. But when it comes to just living your life, that's where it becomes, I have a problem with people saying, oh, this is the best diet ever. Well, it might be for you, but for the other nine out of 10 people that would like to have a bowl of oatmeal, it's not for them, you know? So Do you, do you usually measure all your meals as far as like, you know, by grams, like how much grams in this protein, like uh, carbs, or do you do it by eye usually? I do it all by eye unless I'm competing. If I'm competing, then I'm very precise. But if I'm not competing, I don't measure anything. Uh, and then lastly, um, John, so, um, you know, the big disappointment is that um, Sean Ronan is not competing. Uh, he was supposed to compete at the, at the Arnold, then they disinvited him or whatever, it was canceled, whatever. But obviously, he's, he's being ostracized by the industry, you can say it that way. Um, what is your take on that? And do you feel like he should have been let, you know, they should have let, let him compete at the, at the Arnold, at the Olympia, and other competitions potentially? Is there is there anything going on with his court case? Like, I haven't heard anything. Well, it's, it's you know, it's still pending, so it's, it's yeah. still in progress, so it wasn't resolved, obviously. Well, I feel like, I mean, when all that stuff happened last year, 
you know, there was always this, um, is he guilty? Is he not guilty? Everybody was like trying to figure out if he was guilty or not. And nobody really knows. There's only two people that knows. Um, so we can speculate all we want, but whether it was consensual or whether it wasn't consensual. Um, I've always had very positive interactions with Sean. They've always been very positive. And I don't see him, you know, personally being that guy that would do something over the line. I don't personally see that. But I, I don't know. I wasn't there. I would say this, though. If I could offer him some advice, it'd be just stop messing around with all these <laughs> all these crazy women. So um, I, I think I think Sean was convicted without I, I, I feel like he's, he's being hammered a little too hard. Um He's never, I don't, it's so hard to say because if I was there, you know, if you or I were there and we, we knew for sure something like that happened, then we would both be in agreement. I would think that that's not a good guy. Like that's a very serious, very serious matter. And friend or not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to support, I'm not going to support that kind of activity. Right. I mean, raping someone is not, you don't support that. So, but we weren't there. Yeah, we weren't there. We don't know. So for us to just automatically call him guilty and, but, you know, the other thing is, is at the end of the day, we all know this is a business. I mean, it is a business and it, you know, if whoever's running the show thinks it sheds a negative light on them, it's their show. So, Hey, I mean, who am I to tell them how to run their show? I may think he's being a little bit ostracized, probably a little, and it's not real fair, but I'm also not going to say, you know, to the Lorimers, you know, you should let this guy in when it could have a negative repercussion for them, too. So I see both sides of it. Um, it's very unfortunate, man, because I, I just, you know, Lee Haney, like people ask me who was the best Mr. Olympia. And, you know, of course, Arnold has brought us and you can't compare Arnold with anybody. He's on his own level. But I think of Lee Haney. Like, this guy was a class act, you know? Like, when you talk about the totality of the Olympian, his persona, how he uh, was, you know, how, how well he interacted with people. Lee, I mean, he got the key to the city, you know, from the mayor. I mean, Lee was, I've been waiting so long for Mr. Olympia to come back that had class like that. And that's what we have with Brandon, by the way. That's one of the reasons why I really like Brandon. I, I see him kind of in that Lee Haney mold where he's a he can bring the sport to positivity. So it breaks it just broke my heart hearing all this stuff about Sean because, you know, I've been in this sport for 34 years and I just see it taking these it's getting hammered like, you know, like your top guy is a rapist, right? And that just hurts, man, because it just makes our sport look really bad. Whether he is or he isn't, it just makes the sport look bad. So um, you know, a lot of people talk about Phil, how he's cocky and all this stuff. And I don't know Phil, so I'm not going to say that. I don't know him. Um, you know, so it, for me, I just would like to see more people that carry themselves like a champion, like how Brandon does, like how Lee Haney did. And, and so Lee Haney, to me, will always be kind of the model. Um, but anyways, I know I probably went off on a tangent. There, no, 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 no. I, I appreciate the answer. And then um, I want to ask you a last thing about Granite. Uh, when you pick an influencer to represent your brand, right, um, what qualities do you look for? And would you rather sign somebody who is an influencer on social media who doesn't necessarily have credibility in bodybuilding but has a lot of views and a lot of engagement 
or would you assign somebody who is actually a credible bodybuilder and doesn't have the engagement? Like, how do you pick one versus the other? What it's not even. It's not even close. It's a business. You have to generate revenue, and whoever is generating the revenue is who I'm going to look at first. And now, and then you got to go down the kind of person they are. So, I I don't care if someone's a successful bodybuilder because that doesn't translate to supplement sales. It doesn't. Um, you know, and these influencers, I think that's deceiving too. You know, just because, you know, you take somebody who shows their, has 2 million followers and shows their butt all the time, doesn't mean people that two those 2 million followers are actually going to buy anything from them. It doesn't mean they're actually going to influence. That influencer title is very misleading. You know, we have a girl um, named Holly Mitchell that she doesn't have a million followers, but people listen to her. Like she's a coach, she helps people, she has their best interest in mind. That's the kind of people I look for. If someone comes to me and says, "Hey, I won these three shows," hey, congratulations, good job. That doesn't, or they have, oh, I got two million followers. But then you look and you see no real interaction. You know, you just see a picture of a butt and you see, you know, a million horny guys, you know, uh, putting emojis up of pickles or whatever it is. So, um, so to me, it's true influence. It's true influence. Do people really respect what you have to say? Are people actually going to listen to you? That's what matters. That's a great answer, John, because, you know, people come up to, to me all the time, and I'm sure they come up to you nonstop asking, you know, how do we get, how do we get signed, you know? Because everybody's looking for a, a contract, you know, by, by a supplement company. And you know, obviously the market changed a lot in the, in the last five years. It's a completely yeah. different industry. And so, like you said, you really have to convert the sales, and that's that's, that's the right. number one. That's it's a one business. You have to focus on. That's right. It's a business. Businesses have to make money. Yep. John, thanks so much, man. Uh, Fifty-one minutes. Uh, great, great interview, man. I appreciate it. We gotta do it again soon, man. Just let me know, man. I love talking. I could talk for hours. <laughs>